So guys, welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. This is the third episode in our Legalize It uh, <laughs> series. Uh, after rather uncomfortably, um, I say this is to uh, middle class white men stumbling through the murky world of prostitution, a service that we are, I mean, you know, the core service we're familiar with, but not in the concept of um, pay. <laughs> uh, we know what sex is, we never pay for it. Uh, I say we're not virgins, but <laughs> I assure you. Uh, in murky territory, actually. It, it was it, tricky. It's it was very... interesting how, how, I mean, it's not uncomfortable as in like, I'm comfortable talking to you about it, but it's very hard. You, you think carefully like, oh God, like you realize like one, I really struggle to empathize with these positions, mm. uh, both because I have, I have no idea what it's like to be a patron of the service. Mm. And I absolutely have no idea what it's like to be the person providing that service. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard enough in a lot of gender issued cases trying to like put yourself from a female perspective. But that's one where it's like, God, I really don't know what that's like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. And yeah, I think with all of these things, it's always really interesting to think like, particularly I mentioned like in the legalizing argument specifically, are we talking about like we should put up with this being legal because it seems to be the best way to have good outcomes or protect victims? Or are we saying like, hey, we should remove the stigma around this thing? Those are two very different th strands that kind of go along the same path. And I think a lot of people who are against legalizing are afraid that it will go down the latter road. Yeah, they're afraid of making a value statement, aren't they? I've, yeah. I've certainly seen that be the case in prostitution. People are saying, as soon as you legalize it, you endorse it. Mm. And that could be problematic for cultural norms. The same argument you can make for drugs. Yeah. I think this is one of the reasons we're quite excited to do the series at all is because yeah. there are so many thematic similarities, but yeah. the actual specific context yeah. are interestingly different. And it's so interesting because in the context of drugs, I'm actually very aligned with that NYU professor, the one who admits to doing heroin, I can't remember his name, whereby like adults should be able to make these choices. Like people generally are addicts, not because of the substance, but because of the context in which they're using it or abusing it. Exactly. It's um, about healthy or unhealthy relationships. Yeah. Whereas my, my view on the prostitution one is because I personally i'm not the kind of person who has ever and i'm quite confident will never use those services not that i don't think there's anything wrong if people do use them well depending on why mm. uh, if you're using them because you are a serial killer and it's a <laughs> method of finding victims then that's a problem but like i also please, like please stop yeah i also have the maturity to approach like my understanding of, of sex and sexual relations is like as we mentioned in the episode not purely about uh like people have sex outside of the context of pure love and you know you only need to see people hooking up after clubs to understand that like yeah sometimes people have sex just because they want to have sex mm -hmm. and maybe it's not so crazy that that can be commercialized but not feeling the same intuitive answer as i have to drugs where it's like hey man like why is there stigma around this <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i am kind of like ooh. Uh, well, whilst I think it should be legal, I guess, because I think it has better outcomes, I don't know if I, like, you know, want it to be normal life. Anyway. You yeah, you, actually, maybe there's an element of the sort of stigma that... I don't know. I don't, but I also, yeah. don't, I also don't know if I'm being retrograde. And if 100 years from now, this would be played and they'd be like, that guy's old and doesn't know what's up. So that's why I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to very carefully reserve my opinion and learn before I... And, so, and actually, I would love to speak to people who either know a lot about this, are sex workers and have strong views in this. Mm -hmm. Like, um... Please, if you are a sex worker, feel free to talk to us and tell us what you think about it. As always, guys, we'd love you to write in, debate with us. Tell us whether you agree, disagree. What, and Yeah, what has what our lack of context made us maybe get wrong? Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is the third part of the series. Welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to talk about, well, we've covered sex, we've covered drugs, and in this one, not rock and roll, sadly. No. But we're going to talk about gambling. Gambling, you might ask. Why gambling? Gambling, in a lot of cases is something that's actually fairly legal. Uh, not in the US, actually. Not, not, not always in the US. And we will we will define gambling and we'll define the rules around it. But it's a bit of a change because, yeah, generally gambling is, is fairly permitted. But the laws are, you know, the laws might be more strict than you think. So if it is broadly allowed, however, why are we talking about it? Well, some people would argue, along with drugs and prostitution, gambling also constitutes a moral wrong. 
yeah, but maybe it's worth looking exactly what gambling is. I would clarify a little on that, like gambling being a moral wrong. When I think about gambling, I actually don't think that someone who is gambling is doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think two things. I think that people providing gambling are doing something morally wrong, right? So being the gambling company. And I particularly think that there are perverse incentives for them to take advantage of people. Mm. Uh, and I would say that people who gamble irresponsibly to the extent that it negatively impacts their life, it, it passes into the, the realm of addiction, in which case, is it still their fault? Mm. I don't know. Maybe if someone had impacted my life through it, I would say, yes, it is their fault. But like, yes, it's an addi- it, it passes into like the, the realm of like, this is a psychological or, or mental problem, mm-hmm. not them making necessarily bad choices. So now, this is something we talked about in the previous episodes. We talked a lot about positive and negative freedoms. Definitely go back and listen to the previous two parts to learn more about those. And we also talked about the harm principle, which you just alluded to there in, in respect of, yeah, that's Mill's harm principle. So something is wrong when you're harming other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're not harming other people, putting a tenor on a sports match, why is that a morally wrong thing? Exactly. So go back and listen to those. As always, we're going to approach this episode with the same kind of structure of why do we make anything illegal? We talked about that. There's a policy approach and there's a moral approach. Um, in the case of gambling, what's really interesting is, and this actually, this is fairly similar to looking at the case of sex workers, as opposed to when we looked at drugs. Drugs had a very multifaceted ser- like sort of set of problems. You know, the, the harm that's done in the case of drugs, that affects many people in different ways. When we were talking about the moral aspect of uh, regulating sex work, we were really very much just concerned with protecting sex workers, making conditions safe for them. Those are the, that's the only real outcome we were looking to optimize to. Yeah. And I think with gambling, you've got a similarly simple Yep. structure which is just you're looking at protecting the gamblers you're yeah you're looking at protecting people even more specifically than protecting gamblers you're looking at protecting people who are susceptible to getting addicted to gambling mm-hmm. and it's specifically they, they call it addiction uh, you know certainly health groups call it that and you're looking at stopping companies from the very perverse incentive they have to get people to gamble more and to exploit the vulnerable now it's yep. interesting actually just uh you know when you when you stay, lay them out side by side it's interesting because in the case of sex workers you're protecting the suppliers of the good and mm. in this case you're protecting the consumers yeah and in the case of drugs it was a little bit of both a little bit of both well you, you're protecting the consumers but you're also protecting other people from the consumers and at the same time you're trying to protect the consumers from the providers yeah, and, yeah. and also the wider implications of the providers because they're entire and, uh, criminal organizations stop people falling into that kind of life as well yeah yeah so the, the drugs one is really every which way the sex <laughs> it's stuff like dodgeball, is, it's got layers yeah, it's got layers the sex stuff is just the, the suppliers and the gambling is just the the buyers that you're protecting yeah let's begin let's define gambling According to John Hobson, who provides a neat definition of gambling, gambling is the determination of the ownership of property by appeal to chance. That's quite nice. That sounds very economic. So, for example, Jake, I'm going to flip a coin and the winner gets your apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, it's like that Friends episode. (laughs) For Hobson, for something to truly be gambling means that it's implied by chance. The result will not be able to be determined by either party who engages in the gambling. That's interesting because actually, you know, there are cases in in life where you might make a bet between friends on one's ability to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but uh, that's so limited in scope and stuff. That's not really where people... Yeah. Uh, but people who have gambling problems will often propose bets to their friends that are, you know, affected by chance. Like, I can do this or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the, at least the joke we see on TV. I think one thing that's really crucial from... That's missing from here, but is a... It's not a necessity of gambling, but is a general fact, is that the expected outcome or the expected value of the bet is below zero. Yeah. I.e. in expectation, in the long run, you will lose money. You've heard right. the uh, old phrase, the house always wins. Yep. That's 
statistically yeah. true. To be fair, strictly with sports betting, that may not strictly be the case, right? Actually, they're making their own odds and we, we can take it close enough to be the case, right? Mm. Like the vast majority of gamblers do not outcompete them. And those who do tend to be approaching it more with a hedge fund approach, you know, they have like PhDs in statistics, mm. not guys with gut feels who reckon they really know who's going to win this season. Well, what's funny is, um, not to talk too much about this, but I, uh, I did my economics master's thesis on football mm. betting. Yes. Uh, and, and I mean, one of the things that was really interesting was I studied something a little bit niche, which was the favorite long shot bias, but that was the way that bookies weight odds and actually like really punish people who take long shot bets, but the long shot bets are far more appealing. So actually, if you make safe bets over the course of a football season, there was even in some seasons a chance that you could actually make money. Like you're talking about like a 2% return. It's pretty small. But if you yeah. always place a safe bet, like back in the time, it would be Man United is going to win yeah. more likely than not. You place so, those safe bets, the short bets, you're yeah. likely to win an expectation. You place the long bets, you get disproportionately punished. Yeah. The odds so are the, really sort of weighted against so it. So the, the point there, the intuitive reasoning behind that is the reason that favorites tend to have good odds is because no one cares. It's a bit boring. No one wants to bet on the 1.2 return, one to, you know, 1.2 to 1 return mm. bet. So they, you know, the odds kind of get pushed up a little bit by the lack of demand for them and to try and get someone to take them. Yeah. Um, and then in the long shot, uh, I believe the reason is because when something reaches the realm of like 50 to 1, 100 to 1, 200 yeah. to 1, all people see is big number to 1. Exactly. So it doesn't need to fairly represent the actual expected outcome. And what's Not to mention it, it completely screws their their books when the negative, and, and they're, they're providing bets on all sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. When there is a like a 1,000 to 1 event, it kind of messes up the player <laughs> finances, right? It can do. And that's because it doesn't happen very often. And normally it's priced to the effect that if something is 50 to 1, the true underlying chance they believe, they'll have modeled it to be more like 80 to 1. Mm. But they price it at 50 to 1 and people still take it. And then in expectation. Because it's a lot to 1. Exactly. And let's be real, when you see something 50 to 1, you're not thinking rationally. You're thinking like, man, imagine if that comes off. It'd be crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas when you're placing safer bets, you might be doing that with a more statistical approach. But probably not. And what we're saying here, just to kind of bring that back on track, is... The house always wins is an expression to say that the people who are providing odds, be mm. they betting companies, be they casinos, they've designed these mathematically so that on average they win. And yep. they're extremely profitable businesses, like mm -hmm. ridiculously so. So let's take a quick look now at what the law is uh, concerning gambling. There's a huge number of variations, actually. Uh, so it's probably a little bit difficult to go into all of them. But in the UK, gambling laws allow for anyone over the age of 18 to participate in gambling that is regulated by the Gambling Commission. The aim of the UK gambling regulation is to protect children and vulnerable people and make sure that gambling is conducted fairly and openly, which on the face of it sounds like a fairly sensible way of running gambling. And an interesting contrast again to make with gambling versus sex and drugs is that because it's generally legal, we can kind of use it as a way of studying, huh, does legalization actually provide for good outcomes? Interesting. Yep. So in the US it is legally restricted and there is the added complication of the fact that states are free to regulate gambling pretty much as they please. So there's kind of variation. And also, as we famously know from the setting of many movies and TV series and stuff, you'll often have casinos in Native American reserves because they can control their own laws there. Mm. Uh, they're like semi-sovereign territories. But that practically means that you can access it in the US. It's just technically legally not there. From 92 to 2018, sport betting was banned nationwide, not that people weren't doing it. But in 2018, this rule was, was ruled as unconstitutional. And now casino-style gambling is only legal in Nevada and Louisiana all over the states vegas um, babe <laughs> yeah so basically you can now you can sports bet but previously you couldn't and before that some places you could gamble but generally you couldn't in the u.s there's a huge amount of variation so that's the law now as always we look at quickly what's the moral component to this question is gambling morally right or wrong well gambling's been around for a very long time for that reason a lot of people kind of generally accept it and there's actually not an awful lot written academically about 
the moral uh, yep. component of gambling. Well, I think the interesting thing is we're using gambling to, to, to talk about the recreational use, particularly around sports and events like that, right? Mm. But I think one thing is that speculation speculation is is a career for many people yeah um, it's just that if you do it in the stock market it's fine and actually <laughs> we should clarify i mentioned this earlier there are hedge funds whose strategy is to create statistical models and bet on sports markets yeah that, that is a thing literally um, and it's funny because people talk about the stock market being a little bit like gambling and that's definitely said with some you know with it with a tone yeah. sort of, but obviously if i uh, have a cfa level three then i can actually <laughs> study stocks and understand what's going on no there's still like stocks are largely down to global circumstances that can't be predicted or individual circumstances of that company that also couldn't be predicted yeah and i suppose my point was uh, when people say that i suppose what they're really doing is kind of demeaning the the, the sort of skill and the, <laughs> and the career choice of stock market professionals but i think there's also an element of which people are like ah, you know uh, are you providing value to society when you're yep. doing something like this yes i think that's a really important part when we're talking about recreational gambling the aim isn't to provide value to society i think when people say it in a derogatory way about finance in the stock mm. market the point that they're making is you are trading on secondary markets right yeah so me investing in a sports franchise so that they can use that money to enhance the sports franchise is very different to me just arbitrarily saying this team's going to beat this team on this day right yeah it does not in any way benefit the teams not at all and such is the case when you're trading options on gamestop yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello to all our Reddit using audience. Um, I think it, it's interesting because I think a lot of people see gambling just as harmless fun. If you look at gambling at a really high level, it's just entertainment. Yeah. That's what it and, is. And for the vast majority of people, it's exactly that. I have placed bets before, watched a football yeah. game with some friends, and be like, all right, I'll back these guys for 10 quid. Yeah. I'm sure that you've done the same thing. We've been to a casino together. Oh, we yes, had a we fantastic have. night oh, where we course. met, um, we met may- fake Andy. Yeah, <laughs> a guy who looked a lot like our friend and everyone walked away with two times their money. You walked away with three or four times your money. Yeah, it was a very fun night, actually. Yeah. If you're measured and happy with that, that's fine. And, and, and to clarify, I went in with the mindset of, if I lose my money, it's part of the fun of the thing. That's like, it. I think, yeah, my personal approach whenever we've been to the casino has always been, you take a, an allocation of money. In that case, it was like 50 pounds. And if you lose it, that's just the price you've paid to go to the casino. And if you win it, amazing. That's mm-hmm. great. But you, I guess it's about having that kind of mindset of like, yeah. this is the fee I'm prepared to pay. Yes. And 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 it's like we said in the drugs episode, it's about having a sort of healthy or an unhealthy yeah. relationship with a certain activity. Now, that makes me sound a little bit like moralizing. But yes, yeah. That, that, well, I, I, think, I mean, this is a morality podcast. Right? Literally. That's, um, <laughs> but, um, that's why we're here. And this takes us to the part where it's immoral, right? Mm-hmm. I think the problem with gambling really is around uh, two specific things. One, people are susceptible to addiction. Not Mm -hmm. everyone, but some people. Mm -hmm. That's one part. Two, companies have a perverse incentive to actually exacerbate that problem because that makes those people their power users. That makes those people their core source of revenue, right? And that's really where it enters a moral gray zone, right? It's So say, for example, say, for example, you're McDonald's, right? It's fine to make an argument of look like, I make food. I know it's unhealthy, but people have the right to choose some unhealthy stuff sometimes because it's fun and tasty, right? It's another thing to load your food with MSG or whatever addictive substances or <laughs> secretly loaded mm-hmm. nicotine. I'm not saying they do that <laughs> um, <laughs> to make people to make people crave more of it, right? Yeah. And it's another thing to then target your marketing to obese people <laughs> or you know focus your marketing in areas where people are more likely to be um, trapped in unhealthy circumstances that make them want it. And that's kind of the problem with gambling. I think so. I, I, and I think this comes back to what we were saying about the the, the theme really here is protecting gamblers, protecting the consumers. Um, I have some interesting stats on the harms around gambling. And I mean, potentially interesting to compare these across the other two, but that's that's not really the point here. Looking at gambling specifically, there are a few harms we're concerned with. Uh, bankruptcy is a really obvious one. Mm. Another one that I have some data on is suicides. Yeah. So suicide rates for gamblers are estimated to be 15 times higher 
in the general population. Okay, but that there might be some selection bias there. Why would that be? It could be that people who choose to be gamblers are of a population of a higher rate of suicide or higher likelihood of suicide. It, so it could be it correlation, could be not, not necessarily causation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, like, okay, gamblers shouldn't prey on that. <laughs> yeah, prey on that subset of people, which they clearly do. That's not a coincidence. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how they define problem yeah. gamblers, but in the same yeah. study, a fifth of problem gamblers were suicidal. Yeah. In, in, and this is within the last as recent year. as 2020. And and to clarify as well, the implication of that suicide study is that there's a causal link there, which is the disastrous loss of lots of money, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, a bad streak. But yeah, let, let's talk through some moral perspectives in gambling, right? Sure. Uh, the first one we have here is utilitarianism. We've discussed it in a lot in other episodes, but basically weighing up outcomes. Some Something is right such that its consequences are in accordance with a principle of utility, the maximizing the greatest good. That's it. The greatest happiness for the greatest number. Yes. So for act utilitarianism, this means that an act is right or wrong in accordance with whether it makes more people happy than not. So that means we're just looking at one individual act. Uh, the problem with this for gambling is that the whole point of gambling is that you do not know what the consequences are going to be <laughs> of your action. If you did, it would not be gambling. That said, you know that you will derive a certain amount of pleasure from the excitement. Of yeah. the ga- like when I pay 10 quid to put a bet on, half the joy is the suspense. Yeah, right. It's the kind of oh, now I care. Like you know, you become yeah. suddenly more I'm invested, invested in the action. In football game. And I think it's for funny example. because you can you can place bets on on such a wide and ridiculous variety of things. You can place bets on like players being booked. You can place bets on like how many corners there will be. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly it gives you a whole new lens through which to watch the game because every time ball goes out for a corner, you're like one, two, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which you know is a complete tangent to the main game being played and the scoreline and and everything else that's going on. But it, it generates entertainment in a different way. Is your point? So you're saying even though you don't know whether or not the bet will come off, which would be a way of assessing it yes. through utilitarianism, you can at least say it will give me some excitement, some suspense. And if I yeah. win, I'll be very happy. And if I lose, I won't be. Yeah. And so this is this is the thing. And that said, though, assuming you're a reasonable person, you only take fairly priced gambles. The point of the problem with utilitarianism and gambling is that the thing should be priced such that the expected value of losing outweighs the or exactly weighs the expected value of gaining. However, losses uh, loom larger than gains. Ah, yes. Our <laughs> which, friend Mr. So we, Daniel Kahneman. So we don't actually value those two things equally. And like I said, the act and process itself has some value. Um, so really, it's a question of, from a utilitarian perspective, a good or morally correct bet, which is how I like to think I personally bet, uh, is when the bet is small enough that the risk of losing the money um, doesn't, is, loom so large. doesn't loom large, but placed in a context where you derive pleasure purely from the fact that you're doing it and it's helping mm-hmm. you engage with the activity that mm-hmm. say watching a football game plus there's a chance of winning i think i mean for me again not wanting to be too, too morally posturing but i think for me a big part of what makes it fun is doing it in a social context so going to a casino i've never been to a casino by myself i'd go with friends because it's just a way to have fun with your friends you know and you'll place bets and they'll place bets and you'll watch each other and you'll be like oh and you'll cheer when it happens and yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's all the pro- like i said you know i was happy to think of the money that we put in when we went to casino is like this the price of having fun here exactly I, i'll happily pay whatever to go to the cinema with friends like there's no like chance of me winning anything there it's just a pure fun act and you could definitely argue the same thing uh, yeah. with sports betting you know oftentimes if i see people place bets on sports they're quite keen to sort of promote the fact that they've done that socially as like they're like oh my god i've placed this bet and then if it comes off you're like happy for them and if not you know yeah it's it's part of the social fun of it yeah um however that's the kind of like low level look at utilitarianism the high level of utilitarianism is hey let's look at the gambling industry on average people lose mm. so that's bad and also 
also the main people like it's driving a lot of people to lose a lot because it yeah. preys on addiction that a huge amount of their money comes from people who are losing their life savings a non-negligible amount and that's Would, really bad yeah should i be willing to give up the small pleasure i get by occasionally pay, placing a tenor is that worth some people having easy access to an avenue to ruining their life and, and fueling an addiction mm-hmm. probably not i'd be ha- i personally would be happy to give it up if it fixed that it's not that simple because as we said with all of these things making something illegal doesn't like make it disappear yeah if anything it drives the black market and at least the one thing you can say about legalizing stuff is then it's it's regulated i mean like you said in the uk we have the gambling commission there very purpose is to make sure that gambling is conducted in a safe manner stuff has to be registered there's consumer protection laws in place what's interesting is i wouldn't say that they're necessarily perfect i mean you're still seeing examples of these harms in the uk where it's been regulated and has been for a very long time yeah but at least there's legal infrastructure in place and there's committees and bodies yes whose yeah, job yeah. it is to be looking out for yeah. these things this is this is a funny one where rather than arguing should it be illegal or illegal we're actually looking at the policy right yeah and so i would say i mean i'll, I'll spoiler uh, I'm going to tell you my my thoughts now. We should probably be stricter on it. Like there should be a limit on how much any individual person is allowed to gamble with all gambling com- not any in the individual one. There should be a limit on how much you're allowed to gamble per month. And do you right? think this is a, should this be a limit that's related to your income or maybe unclear. Mm. But basically you should not be able to place bets beyond you know something that would screw you and if you try you should be on some sort of list to like be pushed to get help but i mean i don't want to be too paternal but like yeah this is an addiction problem like this is a non-conventional method of thinking about things it's interesting i wonder i wonder how much they have uh, or how much effort they invest in trying to identify well this gamblers. is this is the problem they have perverse incentives they 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 definitely identify problem gamblers the problem is they then market to them yeah, <laughs> yeah the gambling companies i suppose that's true uh, i and i don't know how much the commission have the power to do that because i don't know how 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 good data sharing is in, in that respect that's really mm. interesting i tend to agree with you I, and i think I'm, what's what's particularly interesting with gambling is there are sort of crossover industries uh for example loan sharks yeah. who are then like literally in a position to take advantage of exactly the same people yeah and again i don't, I don't know how much uh, how much regulation there is in place around that i think at least there's yeah. the the potential for good regulation but by the fact that these commissions exist the other thing is Okay, like, say you get rid of this. Are these people just going to gamble on the stock market or gamble on the um, on crypto? Mm. And I guess the difference is that one, these things aren't by definition uh, expectation below zero, so everyone can you can win. Mm. Two, another thing we didn't talk about with gambling. This is only pseudo true, but like gambling is kind of zero sum. Yeah. In order for the gambling companies to exist, there needs to be winners and losers. Winners and losers. However. In practice, for any individual, it's really you against the company. The company is pulling yeah. profits. That's kind of pseudo true, not really true. But in, in the case of something like a stock or a crypto, it's not zero sum, right? Like everyone can win. Granted, some people will lose in order for you to buy a stock, someone has to sell it. But something worth considering. The problem is, yeah, okay, they'd have other avenues to behaving irresponsibly with pursuing chance. So for example, you get the Wall Street Bets guys, as an example. We'll quickly blast through deontology and virtue ethics and then come to a conclusion. This will be a relatively brief episode, um, but we've talked about it a bit. Deontology. So specifically Kantian deontology. So looking at like, you know, things should be allowed in and of themselves, not as an appeal to outcomes, just whether they're a moral thing. His approach, Kant's approach, tends to be uh, about categorical imperatives, uh, whether you can form them as maxims. So a rule that would be able to withstand universalization. I, if everyone did it, it would still make sense. Um, so what would universalizing, universalizing gambling look like, Jake? Well, it probably looks something like this. In the same way that with stealing, eventually you will get to a point if you were to universalize that where people steal so much that there is no property. If you gamble so much, probably by chance, no lo- people would no longer have something to gamble. Anytime you're playing a game with a less than zero expected outcome at some point you must run out of money 
your, your luck, luck to keep you in the positive can only last so long. Uh, what is a gambler without something to gamble? So it doesn't seem that you can universalize it. Simple. If you can't universalize it, it means it's wrong. But there's another reason, though, that in Kantian terms, gambling might be wrong. So for Kant, you can't use people as means to ends, right? People are worthy of respect, people in and of themselves. To a gambling company or to a better, you are turning another person into a means for you to make money. Yeah, right. 100%. Certainly for the gambling company, they, they, they're users. You know, this, we've talked about this in the context of tech companies. So Yeah, only tech companies and gambling companies refer to their customers as users. And drug dealers. <laughs> drug dealers, sorry, that was the other one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so fair. Final one, virtue ethics. Uh, something that maybe don't talk about a lot, but it, it's a predominant ethical theory. It's virtue ethics, which is the theory that the right action is virtuous in accordance with virtue by a person who is virtuous. Basically, it's about behaving in a way that's consistent with being a good person or a moral person, yeah. as opposed to a specific way of defining what is right or wrong in specific circumstances and measuring that against a ruler. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's more like, what would Jesus do? <laughs> kind of things, except it's more like what would Aristotle do yes exactly um, but yeah the thing is the answer isn't totally clear I guess draw your own conclusions it doesn't necessarily seem like gambling is something that a virtuous person would necessarily do certainly not in excess it doesn't seem that removing it would actually make them that much more virtuous or, or help them act virtuously the unvirtuousness of some instances of gambling might be enough to convince us that you know gambling and virtue ethics are not so compatible i think there's a really strong negative connotation right mm. it comes to use versus abuse right like i feel neutral about someone occasionally putting a five or a tenner on for fun with mates and i feel negatively about someone who's gambling every weekend i'm like this seems irresponsible this doesn't feel consistent with virtuous behavior wow really interesting as we wrap up it's uh let's do gambling uh quickly and then let's just kind of come back to the series as a whole yeah i think Gambling is a really interesting example, and one of the ones, reasons we wanted to include it in the series was because, broadly, it is more legal than the other contexts we've discussed, drugs and sex. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, but I think probably yeah. more should be done to protect Well, it's users. also, we talked about the kind of protecting suppliers, protecting users, protecting everyone. That's mm -hmm. the drugs, people who sex, the first one is gambling, suppliers is uh, sex, and users is gambling. The interesting one in this one is it's the only one that really has the overlap between capitalist incentives yeah. and people being taken advantage of. And yet, weirdly, we don't apply that same sort of thinking to something like McDonald's. That's also because gambling has the fundamental property of not actually providing any value. <laughs> it's literally it's just, just it's pure entertainment. Like, let's move this money around between people and it'll be fun because we don't know where it's going to go. Right? <laughs> At least when I buy something from McDonald's, yes, it's unhealthy, but I am getting something for my money. It's food. I'm getting yeah. a physical thing. Gambling provides no real service other than, you know, an entertaining way for us to have a lottery together. Yeah. yeah. It's no different to saying, you know, it's a form of gambling if I say, everyone give me your money and I'll split it up randomly and you get what you get, right? Yeah. Like, that's what's happening in a black box sense. But my overall thing is like, like I said earlier, and it's a good example, like it's better that it's legal than not legal. It helps limit issues like loan sharks. It means that like we have some amount of regulations and investigating how much of a problem it is. Mm. However, problem with modern society is capitalist capture of these structures and really not enough is being done and there should be more done to protect people who are addicted. Does that make you, let's relate it back to the other issues, does that make you at all concerned that, you know, were you to legalize uh, drugs or sex work, you'd have a similar capitalist capture and actually we could end up in a really, you know, you could end up with some weird situations that we haven't really thought of so much in the previous episodes. For example, okay, yeah, what happened? Drug empires or that are like big companies that actually are really like flogging things that are unhealthy. Like yeah, advertising a ton. What if someone sets up a brothel and it's doing so well, they're offering 50K to people to drop out of uni and become a prostitute. Exactly. Yeah. These are these are actually yeah. sort of foreseeable situations yeah. that we don't really and discuss. If they, and if they lobby to limit curtail regulation. I still think that that's... Okay, that's a kind of 
slippery slope or what if argument. It Those is. aren't necessary outcomes. And also, I'd still prefer dealing with that situation than the current situation where like it's very easy to abduct and murder a prostitute. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, on a scale of relative harms, people being overpaid and lured out of otherwise sort of better professions. And isn't that kind of what OnlyFans is doing? <laughs> In a sense? <laughs> it kind of is. It kind of is. Okay, so I think we're relatively aligned on the on the gambling one, but it does pose an interesting counterexample to the previous two. Drawing it all together and talking about legalization in general, we said from the very start, why do you make anything illegal? One, um, you're looking at policy outcomes. Two, you're taking a moral approach. We've now discussed three different circumstances, which is drugs, sex, and gambling. We've given you answers to those three in the yep. respective episodes there's been some really interesting overlaps and some uh and, and some really fascinating contrasts as well yeah yep. but and last question before we wrap it all up mm. what do you think the role of government should be then and 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 mm. which of these approaches matters more i it's funny because i have such a mixed view um because on the one hand this is especially following covid i do think that like a lot of attempts to employ policy one are never validated to have been necessarily that effective so mm -hmm. we don't even know if they're doing that good two has a huge amount of management overhead to the extent that sometimes doing nothing achieves just as much so i mean a good example like i said is in, in previous episodes is something like ubi right mm. people underestimate the amount of overhead that goes i mean i'm not saying that oh there's so much overhead that we could just afford ubi but in some select groups totally you know putting moralistic values aside Homelessness is a good example. The cost of like all of the support that we give to homeless people. Actually, I remember I read a study like on balance, it'd be better to just give them a lump sum that was enough to get them out of homelessness. Like mm. there's a good evidence that that would work. But for whatever moralistic or value based reasons, we don't do that. Same with UBI. Same with uh, certain decisions. I think this is so often the case with uh, things like like drugs. We spend so much money fighting drugs instead of just legalizing it to one, make it safe and two, make revenue. From kind of it. take the cartels yeah. out, of the, out of the equation. Exactly. And then if you do that, like by all means, if you think it's bad and if it's going to have negative consequences, take those revenues and use them specifically for that issue. Yeah. Right? Use them to fund the aspects you're concerned with. Yeah. But uh, I mean, specific to the role of government, sorry, in, in a bigger picture sense, it's it's so hard because I don't think government should necessarily the I don't think the role of government is necessarily to be very paternal. Mm -hmm. I would generally say trust people to make decisions themselves, etc. But part of trusting people to make decisions themselves means legalizing and provide but then providing reasonable regulation around things, right? Mm. So like saying people should make decisions by themselves doesn't mean that like say for example prostitution you don't leave it as neither legal nor illegal letting people make decisions for themselves means making it legal but then providing reasonable infrastructure around it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as an example yeah and the same in the case of drugs yeah and and identical i guess in the same case as gambling i mean yeah. what's been a really interesting theme with all these episodes is even if you try and ban it it's gonna happen demand persists and yep. therefore i'd say I, i'd say as a theme my conclusion across all of these has been it's better to embrace that fact pragmatically do what you can to make it safer for the parties concerned and then i think actually what you've said there is really nice like sequester the funds that are inevitably going to be generated from the uh, legalization of all three uh, situations and use those to try and promote safety and and, yeah. and and policies to enhance that yeah it's yeah it's funny because the thing that i'm uncomfortable with with what i just said is that like on the one hand it does feel paternal to say like you need to provide the regulation around it. Uh, but it's distinctly non-paternal to say, by default, most things should be legal. <laughs> it's just that it shouldn't exist in like, a, it shouldn't be cowboy land, right? Yeah. It's a funny mixture of like, the government shouldn't get involved. Things should be legal. But also, please make sure it's safe to use. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah. I think people kind of get what I mean there, right? I think yeah. so. I think so. Okay. Um, 
Guys, thank you. Welcome to the end of the series. Not welcome. Thank you for getting to the end of the series. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, we'll be back uh, in a few weeks' time after this one with uh, with a new series. Ciao. Oh my god! Imagine if it wasn't recording. <laughs> that would be actually quite funny. See you later, guys.